Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Acts, chapter 3, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The book of Acts is the blueprint for the church. As the church, we learn what we're to do as the body of Christ. We learn what we're not to do as the body of Christ and how we're to function as a church and how important is this that we would be studying this book right now in that the Lord is doing a great work here and steering us and directing us in the way that we need to go. So if you've got a pen and you've got a pad, you might want to get it out and take some notes here. If you haven't been with us last week, we were looking at, we began looking at... Uh, What made the early church strong? We're talking about what made the early church vibrant. What made it a vibrant church? What made the early church a healthy church? What made the early church an alive church? And we talked about that last week, and I've given you several points. Let me point them out again to you. The early church, if you're taking notes, they were an alive church. They were a strong church. They were a vibrant and powerful church because, number one, the early church had a continual fear. Back up to chapter 2, if you will, and look at verse 43, if you will. The early church had a continual fear. Well, chapter 2, verse 43 tells us that fear came upon every soul. And not only did the early church have a continual fear, but the early church had a continual power. You'll see it again in verse 43 in chapter 2, because there were signs and wonders among the people. And the early church had a continual togetherness. Well, look at verse 44 in that same chapter. They had all things together, and they were all together, all things in common, and they had a togetherness there in verse 44. And then the early church had a continual stewardship. You'll find that in verse 45 of chapter 2. They sold goods and possessions. And the early church had a continual daily fellowship. Look at verse 46 of that same chapter. They had a continual daily fellowship. And then the early church had a joy. They had a joy. In verse 46, again, it says that they ate their meat with gladness of heart. They had joy. Nothing like a church with joy. Amen? Nothing like, you know, ain't nothing like a church with joy. Ain't nothing like a dead church either. Let's continue. And the early church had a continual worship. Well, look at verse 47. They were praising God. They had a continual worship. And then the early church had continual favor. Did you see that? Again, in verse 47, the community. They had a continual favor in the community. That is also very important. Their favor was not just among themselves in that they liked each other and that they loved each other and they had favor with each other, but they also had favor in the community, meaning that people who did not know God, people who were not Christians, looked at that church and they said there's something different about that church. 
every church should have a good reputation in the community. Every church should have a good reputation in terms of the community looking at that church and saying, you know what, those Christians, they come out of there and they're, 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 they're on fire Christians. They love the Lord. They've got a good witness in the community. Nothing like a bunch of Christians gathered together in a restaurant. And one minute they're talking about the Lord, and the next minute they're talking about something else. Nothing worse than Christians talking about Jesus in a restaurant and how good God is. And the servers come up and, can I help you, sir? Well, yes, I'd like to have whatever, whatever, whatever. That lady, she serves you hard and faithfully and happily. And you bunch of Christians, you'll leave a good tip. That's a ba- I'm sorry, that's a bad witness. Look, if you're going to sit in a restaurant, please do us a favor and please don't tell anybody. You go, look, don't mention Calvary Chapel if you're not a good tipper. <laughs> you're making it hard for us, okay? Don't mention, you know, oh yeah, Calvary Chapel, oh that church is awesome, awesome. Y'all talk about the Lord, you leave that woman a penny for a tip. Don't do that. Be a good tipper. That's, a, that's, that's continual favor in the community. So very important. And then as a result, this church had continual growth, continual fear and power, togetherness and stewardship and daily fellowship and joy and worship and favor. And you add all that together, what happens? The church resulted in continual growth. In verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, if you were to close your book, listen to me, if you were to close your book at this point, close your book in chapter 2 and not read any further, you might think, man, that's the church I want to belong to. That's the on-fire church. That is the ideal church. I mean, they were commissioned by Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, and now continuing in fellowship and worship and prayer and praise, and they're eating together, and people are evangelizing. I mean, this is a great church. This is the church to be. This is the church I want to be a part of, if you were to close your book here. But don't go close too quickly, because in chapter 3, we're going to start in this morning, we're going to start to see the church is changing. And we'll start seeing a change in the wind because the ministry is going public here in chapter 3 and the dark skies of persecution are on the way. You see, what happens in this chapter actually grabs the attention of the leadership in Jerusalem and persecution is soon to begin and will continue for several generations, all because of what happens here in chapter 3. The community begins to notice and persecution is about to begin. Go with me to chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Saints, if you're with me, say amen. Amen. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms for those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John in verse 3, about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. And so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Well, then Peter said, what do you say, saints? Read it with me. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. 
In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Well, then Peter took him by the right hand. Notice Dr. Luke giving us the specifics, just like a doctor. Very specific, very pointed. Took him by the right hand, and he lifted him up. And immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And so he leaping up, he stood and he walked and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and what saints? Praising God. And all the people, and they saw him and walking and praising God. And then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Stop right there. Give me your attention. If you're taking notes, chapter 3 is post-Pentecost. Post-Pentecost. And here we have, post-Pentecost, we have Peter and John on the way to the temple for prayer. Peter and John. Now, Peter and John, if there's any two guys, listen, give me your attention. If there are any two guys in the scriptures that are very, very different than each other, it would be Peter and John. You know, God likes to put people together who are just totally different than yourselves. I mean, look, look at your spouse. I mean, take them. Case in point. It's like people come in for marriage counsel. Pastor Rodney. I go, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Say no more. I mean, not that that's on a personal level, but you know what I mean. Because me and Elvira, we like this. Right, honey? <laughs> but two people, I mean, you take Peter and John. These guys are very different than each other. I mean, Peter, you know, you've been around here. Peter is kind of older. He's kind of grouchy. I mean, he's impetuous. He chops people's ears off. You know, he, he never hesitates to give his opinion. Sometimes it seems like the only time he opens his mouth was to change feet. I mean, Peter, very outspoken. And John, on the other hand, now John was the contemplative type. I mean, John was the guy who we know from the scriptures who leaned on Jesus' breast, you know. I just picture John Jesus sitting there and just kind of leaning back, and John's just next to Jesus. It's kind of cozied up, you know. Hmm. He just loved to be around Jesus. He, even the disciples, they, they, they called him. He was like the apostle of love. He loved to love. John loved to talk about love, and, and, and he was different than, than Peter, just, just real chill, just kind of laid back, very, very different. And I, I got to believe that because these guys' personalities were so different that they had to, John probably bugged Peter. Peter's probably like, look, John, you got to knock it off, man. All this loving up on Jesus and stuff, look, take this sword, go cut somebody's ear off or do something. All you do is love. So mushy. I mean, Peter was this, this, that kind of guy. And of course, you know, these guys, as you study the scriptures, you find out that these guys were also very competitive. They both had fishing businesses around the Sea of Galilee. Peter had a fishing business with his brother. John had a fishing business with his father and his brother. But we know Resurrection Day. The disciples are hiding up in the upper room and the women just came from the tomb. And they're like, he's risen, he is risen, he is risen. And the Bible tells us that Peter and John took off running to the tomb together. 
and John outran Peter. How do we know that? Because John told us in his gospel. John said, look, I outran Peter. Don't you forget? I mean, John is something else, you know. You know, he, he, he's, he's the apostle of love, as I said. John also tells us in his gospel that, that he is the disciple. John's a humble guy. Can't you get that? John tells us in his gospel that he is the disciple that Jesus loved. In other words, he's telling the other disciples, Jesus loves me, not y'all. Okay? I am a disciple that Jesus loves. I mean, John, you know, they had this competitive thing, but don't you find it interesting that here we are post-Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has fell, the Holy Spirit has indwelt believers, and now Peter and John have been empowered and filled by the Holy Spirit, and because of the filling of the Holy Spirit, don't you see that the Holy Spirit brings unity in the body of Christ, and the Holy Spirit brings people together who not normally could not work together, but the Holy Spirit brings them together, and now we see... Peter and John going into the temple at the hour of prayer. The hour of prayer? Yeah, if you're taking notes, you write this down. That's about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. You see, the Jewish people, they had three times of prayer. 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 3 p.m. So here they're going into the temple at the ninth hour, which would be 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And so Peter and John, they're going into the temple to pray. And they come into the temple area where there's a lame man sitting at the gate. Did you get that? And according to chapter 4, matter of fact, just flip over there real quick. Chapter 4, turn there quickly and look at verse 22. And chapter 4, verse 22 tells us that this man was over 40 years old. You see that? But this man was over 40 years old whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And so this lame man sitting at the gate is over 40 years old. He was born with congenital birth defect. He was lame all of his life. For 40 years, he never walked a day in his life. His parents knew he would always be different. Other kids would play in the streets of Jerusalem, and he would sit and watch out the window. Parents had to carry him as a toddler, carry him as a little boy, as a teenager, as a man. He never went on a date couldn't get a job, he couldn't get SSI, didn't have a wheelchair, he couldn't do anything. All he could do was beg for a living. And so he gets older. His parents are out of the picture. No family to care for him, so every day he had a friend lay him by the gate called Beautiful or the Golden Gate. Now we know that this gate is located on the east side of the temple, by the way, Bible students, this is the same gate that Jesus will come through when he returns, the East Gate. A Jewish historian by the name of Josephus, he tells us that this gate was beautiful. It was made of Corinthian brass overlaid with gold and silver. It was 75 feet high and 60 feet wide. The entrance of the temple was brilliant and beautiful, and this gate was worth a lot of money. And I want you to see that beautiful gate. And then I want you to see in stark contrast, we have a man marred, disfigured, distorted, and an outcast up against this gate. 
something so beautiful and so perfect and something so, in the world's eyes, ugly and marred in contrast. So the, the gate is wealth and the man is woe. And what we have is a picture of loveliness and lameness. And it's interesting because, you know, man can make something so beautiful, so beautiful as a gate, but man cannot make himself beautiful. Only God can do that. If you know that, say amen. amen. Only God can do that. You can do all you can to clean up the outside, but only God can clean up the inside. Amen. And I'm amazed at how much time we spend cleaning up the outside. I mean, some of us work hard to clean up the outside. Some of us work extra hard to clean up the outside. And some of us work really hard to clean up the outside. We get up in the morning on Sunday morning and we spend time getting our clothes on and looking nice and we put on our Sunday best because we want to go to church. We're going to church and, you know, we get to church and people go, oh, you look so nice. Oh, that's a nice outfit. Oh, I love that. I love this. But let me ask you, have you taken the time to get your heart ready in the morning? You know, we come to church and on the outside we look good, but what about our hearts on the inside? You see, don't only clean up the outside. You want to clean up the inside as well. We've often said here that, that we don't need restoration. We need transformation. Amen, saints? We need transformation. We need to clean up the inside. And so we have this beggar. He comes to the gate. He's sitting at the gate. And by the way, this beggar is probably a very smart man. Oh, he's lame in his physical body, but he's a very smart man. You know why? Because he strategically plants himself outside of the temple to collect alms. That's a smart move. Because this man understood something about Judaism. He understood that Jews felt that it was a meritorious act if you were to give alms to the poor. They felt that if you gave alms to the poor, that you would go to heaven. That you would get entrance into heaven. And so this lame man, he plants himself right outside the temple. And I mean, think about it. You can't just walk by him and he's, you know, outside of the temple and they just walk by him and go in the house of God to worship God. You know, it'd be almost like somebody planted out here, at the, some lame person planted out by the cafe. And, and you walk in and you're coming to church to worship God. And they're like, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. And you walk, you just, ah, I ain't giving you no money. I'm going to worship God. I ain't got time to help you. It doesn't make sense. You know, some guy told me between services, and I did not know this. This guy told me between services, he said that there was a lady in the parking lot every Wednesday night. I did not know this for like several months. And she was walking around as the people were leaving church asking for money. Did you guys know that? Anybody know that? Okay, she only asked him. All right. <laughs> Maybe it was in his mind. Alms to the poor. And, and, and by the way, let me just say that I, I heard this on some report, and maybe it was 2020 or one of those, you know, news reports or whatever, but people who beg for money on, on like the freeways and stuff, that they, they make a lot of money. I'm, I hear that they make several hundred dollars a day. I'm like, those guys make more money than I do. I mean, isn't the interesting thing? I've, I've noticed this. Have you, that each of, like, the, the guys that are on the side of the road, like, probably, especially off there on uh, 
uh, exit 10 in Wake Forest, getting off there in Raleigh. There's always some guys there. And they all have a sign. And I've noticed this. The signs are always like whoever's cutting the cardboard are cutting them perfectly square. And all of the signs all over town are just alike. And all of the handwriting is the same. (laughs) Somebody's making some money out there. They got signs that they give. They collect enough money, go buy a poor sign. And then you just hold it up. Somebody's making some money. My little observation. But so this beggar, man, he is just like begging for money. He's poor. He needs money, alms to the poor. Now keep in mind, this guy is sitting there at the temple gate for years and years and years. And Jesus, it's very, very possible that Jesus, as he was doing his earthly ministry in Jerusalem, that he would have gone into this temple and walked past this poor man begging each time he went into the temple. Many scholars believe that Jesus would have passed this man. It's very likely that Jesus would have passed this man every time he went into the temple. And yet it is interesting that Jesus did not heal the man. You know, the truth is, God does not heal everyone. That's the truth. That's what the Bible teaches. There are people who say that God wants everyone healed. You know, there are plenty of people in the Bible that God did not heal. Now, you know your Bible. In John chapter 5, there's a great number of people at the pool of Bethesda. And and a lot of people there, and they're they're all sick, and many are sick, and, and many are blind, and many are lame, and they're waiting for the moving of the water. And Jesus' story goes on in John chapter 5 to say that Jesus went to one guy who was paralyzed. And Jesus said to him, do you want to be made whole? The man began to argue with Jesus that there was no one to put him in the water. And Jesus said, rise up, take up your bed and walk. But Jesus healed just that man of all the people who were gathered around the pool waiting for the waters to stir. Jesus healed one man, one man. Why? I don't know. (laughs) But what I do know is that God heals those whom he chooses to heal. Amen, saints? And when he chooses to heal them. You see, God's timing, listen very closely, God's timing is just as important as God's will. God's timing, Jesus walked by this man and he didn't heal him. God's timing is just as important as God's will. And so this man is sitting at the gate. He's saying alms to the poor, alms to the poor, kind of mechanically, alms to the needy, alms to the poor, alms to the poor. And Peter said, look at us. Probably because the man was looking all around as he said, alms to the poor, alms to the poor. Peter said, look at us. Peter wants to get this man's full attention. Look at us. Almost like you say to your kids, look at me when I'm talking to you. And they go, "Uh, are you looking at me when I'm talking to you? Yeah, I'm looking at you. Yeah, Look at me, trying to get his attention. And so this man is looking at Peter and John and thinking he's going to get some money. And Peter said, listen, guy, silver and gold have I none, which is what I say to my kids when they ask me for money. (laughs) Dad, can we have some money? Silver and gold have I none. It's in the Bible. (laughs) They said, listen, I don't have silver and I don't have gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You know, I've read you this story before. 
Let me read it to you again. Thomas Thomas Aquinas once called on Pope Innocent IV while he was counting a large sum of money in the coffers of the Vatican. And the Pope said, oh, you see, Thomas, the church can no longer say silver and gold have we none. Well, truly, Holy Father, Thomas said in a calm voice, and neither can she say in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. You see, the church had the wealth, but the church, watch this, lost the power. Saints, I'd have to say, today, the church has a lot of wealth, but the church has lost its power. And I find it interesting that Peter and John said, silver and gold have I none. Uh, That's probably very practically true. Remember, Peter was doing a fishing ministry, but when Jesus called him, he left the ministry. He left the fishing business. So he had no money, nobody to attend to the business. He really didn't have any silver or gold. And they said, silver and gold, have I none? Now, you mean somebody didn't tell these guys about the prosperity gospel? (laughs) Did nobody tell them that that is a negative confession? What? They didn't know anything about that. They said, silver and gold have I none. Can I say something boldly? Can I say something loudly, if you will? The whole prosperity gospel, and perhaps you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, there's a whole teaching out there in the church about prosperity. And and what it teaches simply is this. It teaches that it is always, listen, always underscore, always God's will for you to be in health and for you to prosper financially. Listen, the Bible doesn't teach. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.